Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Happy Halloween greetings and welcome back to Gather by the Ghostlight, original stories for radio theater. I'm Jonathan Cook, your host, producer, and sometimes voice actor on this thing. And here we are, and I hope you're ready to hear another eerie tale as we continue the October spooktacular. <laughs> but first, I just want to say that all of you out there that purchased the new Gather by the Ghostlight shirt at T-Villain this past week... Oh man, just thank you so much. You have no idea how grateful I am for your support. You guys are just, you're just, you're also awesome. And second, I want to let you know that today is the release day of the Gather by the Ghostlight Year 2 book. This book contains all the scripts that were featured on the podcast during the second year. It's the same scripts the voice actors use while recording with the sound effect and music cue notes, along with some commentary from each playwright that was involved. If you want to order a copy, you can find it on Amazon or the Gather by the Ghostlight merchandise site, and both of those links will be in the show notes. And now, gather around and join me for today's scary tale. We are going to tune into a podcast that you've likely never heard of, and that's because it's a podcast that doesn't exist in our reality. But somewhere, sometime, this podcast is very real and it has two thrill-seeking hosts who take on a little too much when they decide to do a live investigation at a well-known haunted house. Now, gather around the ghost light, sit back and enjoy. This is Pete and Petria's petrifying podcast, written by Dana Hall and David Lipschutz. And be sure to stick around after the story to hear an interview with these writers. Pete and Petria's petrifying podcast. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of the Murder on Maple Drive. Ooh. A poltergeist or a husband gone mad with murderous rage? You, dear listeners, be the judge. Wow, what a story. Murder, mystery, hauntings, it had it all. I know I won't sleep tonight. Petria, how about you? Oh, absolutely. I can't stop thinking about it. And I'll tell you one more thing, Pete. What's that? I still can't believe the ghost actually spelled out, please don't go, in the laundry detergent, right on the kitchen table. Right before throwing a knife at the wall, nearly missing the wife's head. <laughs> laundry detergent. I, I just, can you even imagine? We have a horrific crime and a potential demonic possession. And that's the part that stands out to you? All I'm saying is the possession was clearly a defense strategy the husband's lawyer concocted. Why? What makes you say that? Because if not, then it begs the question. If the dead can find cleaning supplies, why can't my kids? <laughs> Nice, Michelle. Thank you, thank you. Really, Michelle? Uh, effect? Hey, I am just putting those audio engineer student loans to good use. Uh-huh. And as a fellow parent, I agree with Petra's assessment. Not all of us can be a free spirit like you, Pete. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're our favorite producer. She's our only producer. But she's also our favorite. I don't think we say that enough. Uh-oh, Pete. I think Michelle just asked for a raise. And on that note, speaking of favorites, it's time for our favorite part of the podcast. Taking calls from you, our lovely listeners. Place a call. It's coming from inside the house. Michelle, want to tell us who is our first victim of the night? This is Anna from Gatlinburg, Tennessee. You're on with Pete and Patrick. Hello? Hello? Hi there. Is this Tennessee Anna? <laughs> Sure, it's the sun in the mountain sky. <laughs> How are those great smoky mountains? Oh, sad to see y'all should come on down sometime. I was just calling to say my daughter and I are such big fans of the show. Well, that's very kind of you. You know, they put one of those big fancy billboards up near Pigeon Forge with your faces on it. The land of the blue smoke, as Dolly says, just got a little more terrifying with our mugs up there. Especially Pete's. Hey now. 
Ah, it's lovely. Last Christmas, someone hung some lights around Pete's head. A jolly sight to be seen, for sure. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, and I'm not too far from the Rocky River Motel. Nice. For those that don't recall, our previous episode on the topic, the Rocky River Motel, is said to be chock full of paranormal activity. Folks say the clocks run backward there. Some folks also claim to have had that experience talking to Pete. What, no sound effects, Michelle? Not until I get that raise. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, y'all are just so funny. Thanks for calling in, Anna. We'll send you and your daughter a show t-shirt. Looks like we have someone else waiting on the line. I think we have time for one more, right, Michelle? Before we make our special announcement. Okay, we have George from Amityville, New York. Go for George. Can you hear us? Hello. Um, Hello, am I on? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you loud and clear. Is this George? Uh, Oh, yes, uh, George, that's me, uh, George uh, Lutz. Got anything spooky to share with us? I have a, a correction from a previous episode. It's just that a few weeks ago, you did the episode about Sunny Hill Lane. Oh, right. The haunting of Sunny Hill Lane. Right. That was the one about a young family terrorized with strange occurrences until the parents dropped everything and took the kids out of state. They almost died in a car crash, right? Mm-hmm. If I recall, the rumor was it might have been this ancient and evil doll. But really, it was probably the wife's jealous ex-boyfriend. She'd been having a secret affair with him. What was his name, Pete? No, it wasn't Pete. Har Har. Ah, uh, Benny something. Stevenson. Yup, that was it. Benny Stevenson. What is your correction, George? Hmm? Oh, me, right. Well, just a... You were wrong in putting the blame on Benny. Um, he cut their brake line. The family was lucky to have survived. You're wrong. Benny had nothing to do with it. How do you know that? Yeah, do you have personal details of the case? Me? No, I... Wait, wait, what did you say your name was? George? Lutz. George Lutz. From Amityville, New York. Oh, brother. What do you take us for? George Putz? What are you doing, Pete? I'm calling out this guy for trying to put one over on us. George Lutz was the father in the Amityville Horror. This guy is bullshitting us. No, Pete, language. Don't want to get demonetized. Patria, he's lying to us. Remember the Amityville Horror movie? We watched the remake together. Oh, my God. You're right. Love me some Ryan Reynolds. Same. Okay, bud. Who are you really? What's your real name? Oh, I, I, fine. My, my name is, I'm Benny Stevenson. Oh, Great. brother. And I had nothing to do with the events that occurred on Sunny Hill Lane. It was the door, the cursed door. You have to believe me, please. It was the cursed. Call has been cut. Thanks, Michelle. Wow. Jealous ex-boyfriend much? Oof. Well, that was something. Sorry about that, folks. There are all sorts out there. Right, Patria? There sure are, Pete. There sure are. You know, all this talk about Sunny Hill reminds me. What's that? I think it's time for our announcement. Hell of a segue, but let's get on to it. It'll make sense in a minute. All right, folks. Pete and I are incredibly excited to share that next week's episode will be coming to... Michelle, can I get a drum roll, please? Folks, we will be coming to you live from... Michelle, you can stop the drum roll now. We'll be coming to you live from the Wexler House. That's right, the infamous Wexler House, a.k.a. the Tingler House. The supposedly haunted house with so much paranormal activity that no one has lived there in over 40 years. It also happens to only be a few towns over from, you guessed it, Sunny Hill Lane. Oh, I gotcha. It's quite exciting. We'll be touring the property and talking with its caretaker. And, and hopefully, I'll be the first to document any supernatural activity on tape. So tune in to what's sure to be our spookiest episode yet, live at the Wexler House, guaranteed to bring thrills, chills, and maybe, just maybe, some tingles. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Petria. I'm Pete. And this has been Pete and Petria's Petrifying Podcast. Bye. Pete and Petria's Petrifying Podcast. <laughs> 
has been a Pete and Petria's Petrifying Podcast, hosted by Pete Goldberg and Petria Hobbs, with production, editing, and sound by Michelle Apodaca. The Four Peas Podcast is produced in conjunction with Blood Harvest Radio and Karma Moon Productions. As always, don't text and drive. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from next week's sponsor. Have you heard things that go bump in the night? Do you get that feeling someone is watching you, but there's no one there? Then you may have visitors of the paranormal variety in your home. Find out exactly where they are with the new and improved Ghost Hunter 2000 EMF detector from Karma Moon. Never be lost in the dark again. The GH2000 opens you up to a whole new dimension of communication. Your host will be putting it to the test when they go to Wexler House. It's available where most ghost investigative gear is sold. Karma Moon LLC, the maker of the Ghost Hunter 2000 EMF, is a proud sponsor of Pete and Patria's Petrifying Podcast. Enter code PETRIFYING for 20% off of your first order today. Pete and Patria's Petrifying Podcast. <laughs> Can you hear me? Is this sound? Yep. How about now? Got it. Got it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes. Welcome to Pete and Petria's Petrifying Podcast. I'm your host, Petria. And I'm your other host, Pete. And as you can hear by the squeaking sounds of Pete's overexcited voice, we are coming to you live. Yes, live. From the one and only Wexler House. A.K.A. The Tingler House. Nice one, Michelle. Thank you, thank you. As always, we have Michelle handling the production side of things. Say hello, Michelle. Hello, Michelle. We are currently standing outside of the infamous house, waiting for the caretaker to let us in. And hopefully answer a few questions for us. Right. Like, after the house is done eating, where does it store all the human bones? Okay, get it all out now, because we won't be needing any added spooky effects here tonight. I'm looking at you, Michelle. No shenanigans from me. Pete gets scared easily, so I promise to go easy on him. Hey now, I told you that in confidence. Anyway, we'd like you to please bear with us as this is our first live taping. No pressure, Michelle. Don't mess up. Oh, Don't mess up. Oh, hey, watch out for Don't the recorder. Up. Pete, what are you doing? Sorry, I didn't... The recorder, Pete. <laughs> you, you punched me in my recorder arm, you dummy. I think this means Michelle gets one free hit back. I uh, just, just don't knock me in the face, please. Yeah, Michelle. We all know Pete already has a face only for podcasts. I'm glad you said it, not me. Okay, okay, I surrender. Oh, hey guys, here comes the caretaker, Herbert. Hi, Herbert. I'm Pete, and this is Patria and Michelle. We're glad to meet you in person, uh, sir. Want to say hi to our listeners? Oh, <coughs> me? Oh. <laughs> Oops. Uh, 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 hi. Normal volume is fine here, Herbert. Ah, <clears throat> okay. Mm, sorry. No worries. Welcome to our show. Sure, sure. Now, we agreed to two hours. That's it. I got work to do. A man of few words, hey? So, Herbert, you're the caretaker of the team. The, uh, Wexler house? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And how long have you been taking care of the property? Oh, a few decades, I suppose. Quite a long time. And how did you find the job? Yeah, was there like a want ad for Haunted House Handyman or... No, no. <laughs> the, uh, the Historical Society hired me to maintain the property. Well, I must say, we can't thank you enough for allowing us entry into the house. After the stories we've heard, it will be a real treat. Treat? Ha! Nothing but a headache, I tell you. Them ghost stories are nothing but rubbish. Right. Well... What was that? What was what? The curtain. Look, up in the attic window. You didn't see it move or, or hear the knocking on the glass? Nope. Didn't hear anything, bud. Oh. Weird. Ah, people see an old house and their imagination gets to creating these fancy stories. It was probably a draft. The house may be well kept, but it's still old. I guess. Herbert, can you tell our listeners the last time someone other than yourself set foot in the property? Uh, um, uh, not since 1978, they haven't. Wow. So Pete and I will be the first new people inside after over 40 years? Yep. 
Oh, every once in a while, we get some looky-loos, you know, peeking through the windows or going through the trash. But ain't no one been inside these doors on my watch. Incredible. And why has it been so long? Rumor has it that the last inhabitants were a family named Adelman. From what I read, they had two teenage kids, one of them a Lois Adelman. She went missing, and for 48 hours, the neighborhood searched high and low. They found her in the attic, rocking back and forth. FYI, for those listening, I'm pointing at the same window I heard the phantom knocking. Anyway, the police report said that the officer found her up there in a state of agitated fear. She looked at him directly in the eyes and said, I feel a tingle. And then, boom, she goes all catatonic. It's been institutionalized ever since. Bunk. What's that? It's all bunk. Tabloid fodder. That's all that is. Superstitious mumbo-jumbo. That's why I agreed to having you kids here today with your fancy little talk show friends. To prove there is nothing here but a few creaky floorboards. Well, I guess we will see that for ourselves. Yeah, you'll see. I'll, uh, I'll just get the keys to let you in. And that, folks, was Herbert the caretaker. Such a lovely disposition. Right, Patria? Oh, hush. He might hear you. Come on, old Herbie probably went back to his shed or whatever. He can't hear us. What a curmudgeon. Folks, you can't see it, but he is exactly what you'd think a caretaker of a haunted house would be like. It's uncanny. Oh, Herbert. (laughs) Guys, look who's coming back. Herb, ready to let us in? It's starting to get dark. This is as fast as I move. Remember, no funny business, you hear? Leave the place as you see it. Exactly as is. Oh, my. Wow. Dear listeners, it looks like a normal house. A big and old yet totally normal house. No cobwebs, no dust. No broken furniture pieces? I told you. I'm the caretaker for the house. I take my job seriously. It's beautiful. Well, thank you. <clears throat> this house was built in 1847 by Johann Wexler. It was lived in by the Wexler family until 1929, when, after the stock market crashed, the family had no choice but to sell the property. It was purchased in a judicial sale by William and Irma Lexington who lived here with their three children until 1943, when tragically, the youngest child caught scarlet fever and passed in her sleep. Ownership then moved every decade or so until the late 70s, when the property was rented out to a family with two teenage children, one being Lois Adelman, as you mentioned earlier. Her father took a position over at the state university and moved the entire family. No foul play, no nothing. The owners passed of natural causes, of course, and left the property to the state. It's a historical site, so I manage it now for the state. Wow, what a history. Yes, thank you, Herbert, for sharing. Of course. People should know the history, so they stop creating their own. Well, I, uh, I live in a little house uh, on the property just off that away by the trees. Holler if you need me, but don't need me. Oh, and don't worry, there's electricity and plumbing and all that, so you should be fine if you need it. I'll be by to close up when you're done. Remember, don't touch nothing. We are now inside the famous Tingler house. Just me, Patria, and Michelle to see if we can't make a few ghost and ghoul friends. I have to say, something's been bothering me. I agree. Pete's jokes are unusually terrible today. Not that. It's about Herbert's historical account of this place. He said that the last family relocated for the father's position at the university. Mm Mm-hmm. But we know that's not true. We do? Yes. 
We read the article about Lois. She didn't move with her family. There have been multiple confirmations of her last words before going catatonic being, I feel a tingle. Right. Pete, that's how the house got its name. Yes, sorry, I was distracted. This place is just incredible. I mean, it looks like it was updated before the last family moved in. Kind of 1970s vibe. The tile, the brown appliances, flower curtains. Folks, I really wish you could see what we are seeing. Everything seems normal, but at the same time, not normal. I can't explain it. No, you're right. Like, it's been frozen in time. Oh, by the way, Michelle has been taking photos this entire time. She'll be uploading them to our webpage throughout the evening so you can see for yourself everything we encounter. What was that? What? I thought I heard a, a window opening? I didn't hear anything. Pete, you have to get a grip. Your imagination is scaring me more than this house. Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. You're just freaking me out is all. I know, I know. Just a little jittery, I guess. Oh. Okay, okay, I am all good. Oh my god, oh my god, get it off of me, get it off of me, get it off of me, you won't take me alive, oh my god, you won't Jeez, take Louise. me alive. Oh, get it off of me. Pete, stop. You backed into the curtains and a rod fell. I, what? A curtain, you dummy. You're tangled in a curtain. For what it's worth. You put up one hell of a fight, Pete. You know, with friends like you both, a guy doesn't need enemies. Aw, come on. We better prop this thing up before Herbert sees what you did. What I And the lights just went out. Just great. So very great. Did you hear that? Pete, please, just try and stay calm. But I... I'm fixing the light situation, Pete. Something just said my name. Don't look at me. I promise Pete no gimmicks tonight. It was me telling you to try and calm down. Jeez, just give me a second. I think I saw the breaker box off the kitchen. There, found it. See, Pete? Lights are back on and there are no ghosts. Michelle, give me a hand with this curtain rod. Well, there you have it, folks. Just an old house with an old lighting system. Like Herbert said, imaginations can run wild. Hey, Pete. Earth to Pete. Hmm? Do these curtains look all right? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. You didn't even... What the heck is that beeping? A fire alarm? It's so loud. Oh, no. It's the Ghost Hunter 2000 EMF detector. It's going crazy. Oh, jeez. I forgot I had it hooked onto my pants. Great. So our sponsors have confirmed paranormal activity. Right. Cute. Now, how do you turn that thing off? Uh, there. Hey, do you feel that? Ooh. Yeah. Weird, right? My, my hairs are... All standing up at attention. Goosebumps. It, it feels like all the air in the room just changed. Well, folks, this is getting real. I actually think I can feel a presence. Pete? Yeah, like I'm being watched. Come on, you're both being ridiculous. Uh... I said you two are ridiculous. No, Michelle, look. I know you like to ham, but... Look! Turn, turn around! around. I <laughs> uh, guess you do believe in cursed doors. Come and play with me. A voice modulator. Pretty neat. Guess you all believe me now, huh? Who are what? you? The... Oh, you don't remember me? Benny Stevenson. Wait, of the Sunny Hill Lane episode? Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. What do you even want to from- To clear my name. Huh? You slander good, decent folks and accuse them of crimes they didn't commit. Wait, is this- This is about the- The doll? I didn't know it then, when I found the damn thing dumpster diving at this forsaken place. She was into kitschy relics like that. But it- It was the doll. It's evil. I had already ended the affair. I tried to get the doll back, but it was too late. Her daughter must have found it and- All right, that's enough. You don't understand. It was the door, not me. I had nothing to do with what happened to that family. 
We're not far from Sunny Hill Lane. I, I have to leave this place. You're damned if you stay here. You'll see. <laughs> Yowza. You can say that again. Yowza. Pete, I'm being serious. That guy is clearly disturbed and in need of help. Okay, okay. I'm just glad he didn't harm any of us. Michelle. Hey. You okay? Oh, sh- um, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just... A bit of the shivers. <laughs> I, I kind of felt a tingle all down my arms. I'm gonna go check and make sure he's vacated the premises. I'll put the recorder down here for you guys and I'll be right back. And the lights are out again. Great. Come on, Benny. The joke has played itself out. Yeah. Michelle? Michelle? Is that you? <laughs> what, what, what was that? Please tell me you heard that. No, I... Jesus H. Christ. It's all around us. Where's Michelle? Michelle, is that you? No. Herbert? You must leave here immediately. We're not leaving without our producer. It was wrong of me to invite you here. You woke her up. I told you not to move anything. She must have the house exactly as it was with her last victim. What victim? Who are you talking about? Magdalena! You don't... You don't understand, my... My great-grandfather was Johann Wexler. Johann Herbert Wexler. He built the house and lived here with his wife, Frances, and daughter, Magdalena. Frances made these beautiful dolls. Unfortunately, their daughter caught scarlet fever and all the dolls had to be burned. Poor Magdalena succumbed to her illness, but after she died... There was a new doll in the attic. A new doll? It looked just like Magdalena. She tried to destroy the doll, but it it kept coming back, reappearing in the attic. Then, as more people disappeared, more dolls started showing up, each one resembling a new victim. After it took Lois Alderman's family, I, I discovered if no one lived there, no one could be taken. No. I heard about Sunny Hill Lane and and the similarities. They must have taken one of the dolls out of the trash. Who would believe an old man? I couldn't risk it. That's why I invited you all here. Nothing happened on your little show. People would forget about the Wexler place. And I could keep her locked up in there for good. I feel the tingle. The dolls? Yes. Magdalena. And all those she's possessed, they're all stuck here. It's not safe for you. You have to leave now. I'll go to the attic and, and try to keep her at bay. But, but, what about what Michelle? Now, Herb? Oh, wait, it's Michelle. Hey, we, we've been trying to find you. Michelle's not here. What? She had to go to the attic to play with me and my friends. <laughs> This is super <laughs> effed up. Oh, oh, I'm getting dizzy. I feel a, a tingle. Okay, that's it. Grab our stuff. Let's go. Pete. Pete. Pete's not here. Pete. <laughs> no. No. Oh, no. No. Patriot's Petrifying Podcast, hosted by Pete Goldberg and Patria Hobbs, with production, editing, and sound by Michelle Apodaca. The Four Peas Podcast is produced in conjunction with Blood Harvest Radio and Karma Moon Productions. As always, don't text and drive. Thanks for listening. Pete and Petria's Petrifying Podcast. <laughs> that was Pete and Petria's Petrifying Podcast, written by Dana Hall and David Lipschutz. It was performed by Rob Smith as Pete, Dana Hall as Petria, Aralis Rivera as Michelle, Jacqueline Floyd as Anna, Adam Cowart as Binny, Rick Davis as Herbert, and Felicity Thibodeau as Magdalena. All right, so with me now are the writers of the story you just heard, 
Uh, that's right. There's, there's two writers. They both co-wrote this story. Um, this is Dana Hall and David Lipschutz. How are you guys? Hi. Thank you so much for having us, Jonathan. Yes, thank you very much. All right. So this is my first time, you know, having two writers. Um, so let's let's start with Dana. Okay, so you are a playwright. You've also written children's books. You're an actor. You're a, a voice actor. You even voice acted one of the characters in this story. Uh, and on top of that, you're also a mental health therapist. So yes. what? tell us all, what is your story? Mm. How did you initially get involved in writing while also pursuing, you know, this other career and all that? Yeah. So uh, for me personally, I always thought of acting and writing as a hobby until the pandemic hit. And then I realized that what I was most passionate about was storytelling. And as a therapist, I listen to people's stories day in and day out. And I love the power of narrative and I've seen it heal people. And so it really reinforced to me that it, I wasn't a hobbyist, um, that this was all intertwined and that um, you know, especially during the pandemic, it gave me pause to write more. I was um, writing traditional fiction and children's books. And then I ventured into playwriting during the pandemic. And um, yeah, and I, and I loved it. And I really found my voice through it. And I also found that female writers, you know, we are a marginalized, historically marginalized group. And so it really gave voice to um, a group of individuals that often aren't represented in our traditional theaters. Right. So you say you got into playwriting during the pandemic. So you're pretty new at this. Yes. I wrote my first play the first week of the pandemic. And a friend, a theater friend of mine and I, we started This Moment Productions, which was purely virtual. And that was to keep the arts alive. And we came up with that concept literally like four weeks into the pandemic lockdown situation um, because our, our actor friends were missing that element of their life. And so being so intertwined with actors, it lended us right into getting to know playwrights. And actually on your podcast, um, I'm, I've worked with the majority of those um, wonderful playwrights. Um, and so to hear their work come alive in your platform as well is just such a nod to how far theater can extend. So it's just so beautiful. But yeah, so that's where I got started in the pandemic. Very cool. All right. All right. So now, David, you're a playwright, a director, an actor, and just like Dana, you have this other career. You're an attorney, from what I understand, right? So <laughs> that is that is correct. <laughs> so what was your what was your journey, you know, pursuing that career, and then initially, you know, getting involved in writing? So I've been performing since I was six years old, um, and uh, you can watch my bar mitzvah tape when I was thirteen. And I was asked, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I said, I want to be a lawyer. And they asked why. And I said, lawyers are just well-paid actors. And uh, um, uh, I've seen the best acting of my life in the courtroom by other attorneys. So, but I got, I actually am only one year senior to Dana when it comes to writing. I started writing in 2019. Uh, I'm part of a theater company in Chicago called Hell in a Handbag Productions. And we do uh, queer camp comedy. We do a series of the Golden Girls, the lost episodes. And I wrote an episode just uh, I had this, you know, feeling in my gut. I wanted to write this episode where the Golden Girls meet Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote. And that was uh, my first foray, in, foray into playwriting. Um, and I've been loving it ever since. Awesome. All right. So am I right in thinking that both you guys are based in Chicago? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, mm -hmm. uh, so when you guys collaborate and team up to write, is it so you're able to get together, or do you still kind of do it remotely, or what do you guys do? What's your process, I guess? Because <laughs> you collaborate often. Yeah. You've written quite a few plays, so I'm just curious how that works. Uh, Dana, can I? <laughs> Go ahead. So I love to say this. Dana and I have only met once in person. Oh wow. Um, uh, and it had nothing to do with writing together. Um, she had written a play that was performed in a festival. I was directing a different piece in, um, in Chicago, uh, with eclectic, uh, full contact theater company. And we were both there for opening night, me to see my actors perform and her to see the play be performed. 
the Chicago connection is a nice touch, but we actually first met, I had written a play that was performed in New York uh, virtually and Dana was one of the actors in it. And uh, we just became friends and decided to collaborate together. Awesome. So as far as when you come up with an idea that you guys decide, okay, let's write this together. I, I'm sorry, I got a lot of questions. I've never had dual writers, so and I've never done it. So I just, I'm curious how this works. Do you kind of... Do you kind of say, all right, you take this scene, I'll take this scene, or do you both write the full story and then just kind of read each other's works and say, okay, let's choose best of the best and make like this mega awesome story from our best stuff here? Or how does it work for you two? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great question. I've had co-writers before and, it, and the process was kind of... Um like precious almost where they had their piece and it was like, don't touch their piece. They don't touch yours. And somehow you're supposed to blend them together. But I think what brought David and I together was that I, I was in his, uh, a comedy that he wrote and I just love the language of it. And I'm really big into language and relationships. And so when I reached out to him to say like kudos on this play, I really enjoyed being a part of it. It, it was just a natural connection. Um, so I think that is first and foremost. I don't think everyone can write together. And I do think that it is an exercise in leaving your ego at the door. So David and I know each other's intentions, which is really important. You have to have that foundation where we respect each other's work. Um, and it depends on the process. Like, um, Pete and Petria, we, um, David had the concept. He had this concept in his head that he wanted. Sometimes that happens. Like we have another play that's, been produced over a dozen times that we've co-written and across the nation internationally. And, and one of us will have a concept and then maybe another one of us will have some other part of it that we want to, to infuse. So it does, it depends on the particular piece. This one we wrote and rewrote and then combined. I would say any of our works is truly uh, both of us. You can find both of us in it. You know, and, and it isn't just you wrote this piece, I wrote this piece. It really is just a coming together of our personalities, of the way that we talk, which gives the characters their own language, which I love um, because every character should sound different, right? Like you should know, you know, that this is a differentiation. So I just love that. So we've been very fortunate to find this really nice connection where we have a passion about a particular piece and we can... This one in particular, we uh, David had written um, a draft of the twist, and then we wrote, we loved it, and then we rewrote it, and then we loved that, and then we rewrote that, and we just like, so I don't know, I can't parcel out who wrote what in this. It's just such a nice blend of the two of us. And and we uh um we have like a Google Drive that we'll submit to, and there'll be moments that. I'll be like, one of us will say, this line has to stay. Yes. Like, I, I want this line in there. And we work around that if the other doesn't really understand it. Um, but for the most part, it's like, hey, here's what I wrote. What do you think? And if they make edits, we just, um, we go with it. Like, uh, it's it, nothing is set in stone with the exception of like a handful of specific lines. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Uh, so initially, um, Dana mentioned this was uh, your idea David. So does that come from, and it was obviously written as an audio play. Uh, so did the story come from a love for podcasts or audio plays or ghost hunting or where did you kind of, what made you want to write this story? Yes, it was a combination of my love for Tales from the Crypt. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, those, the murder podcasts. I wanted to write something uh, I wanted to create something where it was like a Tales from the Crypt episode, but as a podcast of like, a, uh, you know, like a My Favorite Murder kind of podcast, where it's that the hosts are really silly talking about all these crimes. Uh, this is just the, the <laughs> what came to life between me and Dana was this uh, uh, silly and fun and hopefully scary play. Yeah. And uh one cool thing is that Dana, you were able to voice act one of the characters in the story. You were Petria. And um, so I love it when I can get the writers involved, especially because like me, I'm also an actor. So it's nice when the writers are also actors themselves because uh, you, you kind of, you know, you recorded remotely, but no one would ever know that until now. I would, since I'm saying it, you recorded many miles away from me, but it sounds like you are right there in the room with us. Um, and I just love it when 
uh, I can get writers involved in their own stories. And if you're like me, you probably wrote the character Petria for yourself anyway, <laughs> in hopes that one day you'd get to perform <laughs> it. Because I do that when I write plays. I'm like, oh man, I, I could play this part, you know. <laughs> Yeah, there are there are some lines in there that I have to say, like, so um, David loves the podcast Murder Mysteries, and I loved um, uh, Goosebumps, um, kind of dating myself here. I, I, I was a little old to be like really into Goosebumps, but like, I was amazed because I thought that they were going to be so babyish. And it was actually R.L. Stein really had some zingers in there, like that doll, like, right? Like he had the wooden uh, dummy and that scared the daylights out of me. And I never wanted to admit that. So now I'm doing that on this podcast where others will hear it. But um, I just loved, I just love those stories. And um I love the TV shows, those ghost hunter shows where you vicariously want to be scared, but you don't want like the risk of it. Right. And so that's why I just love this concept of a podcast, but like, let's make them go there <laughs> and, and let's see what happens. Cause we all want to see what happens. Right. So I love that. So yes, um, Petria has a couple of lines in there about, um, how the ghost wrote in um, laundry detergent on the table. And that was a scary story that came from my childhood that I made up during a Girl Scout event to scare the girls at the campfire. Because that was my jam back then was going to Girl Scouts just to scare people at the campouts. So um, it was like a little nod to that. And I love Tennessee. And there are some really old haunted places up in Gatlinburg that um, you know, kind of remind me of where this play could potentially take place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely it made me happy to get you involved. So I figured it was something that you really wanted to do, and it just it, it and it worked out well. You know, it blended in with everything that I recorded here. Um, and also two episodes ago, the writer of Off Center, Jackie Floyd. You know, when I was talking to her, she mentioned we talked about her voice acting background, and sure enough, um, I got her into. You know, this episode is Anna and the, at the beginning. And she did, again, recording remotely like you did. Um, but it turned out so well. Um, so there's, I might, correct me if I'm wrong, but was there something going on with you guys this weekend, a play called Date with Dagon? Is that something that happened this weekend? <laughs> it did. Oh, yeah. It did. <laughs> did you? Okay. So, all right. All right. So I know Dagon is an H.P. Lovecraft reference and I'm a Lovecraft fan. Um, and I'm assuming Date with Dagon is kind of a silly comedy. That's what it sounds like. I haven't read it yet. Um, so could you tell us about that play? And uh, did you get to go see it since it was performed in your your state? Yeah, um, I had the chance to go go check it out. Uh, I, I was the representative on behalf of Dana and me in attendance. Oh man, you guys could have met twice if you had gone, Dana. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, oh, uh, this was so much fun. We, we both, uh, I don't know, at some point earlier this year said that we wanted to write something with a Lovecraft theme. Um, and like, it, it's such a niche, um, uh, topic, especially to write a comedy about Lovecraft. Um, and this is about Dagon waking up uh, from slumber after 10,000 years, uh, preparing for the end of civilization. And he just wants to go out on a date. So before he before uh, he vanquishes all of mankind. Um, uh, and so he goes on the Plenty of Fish app, which for Lovecraft fans, Dagon and going on a Plenty of Fish app. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it was oh, so much fun. This theater company is Westchester Civic Theater. It's in the western suburbs of Chicago. It was a delight. I was, I was so happy to be there. Nice. And is this this uh, this is a play you guys wrote together, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. yes. And is it was it a ten minute play or was it like a one act? It was ten. We could stretch it out though with the drama. <laughs> <laughs> so what else are you guys currently? Is there anything you're currently working on together? I know you you also write a lot of plays individually. Um, but as far as collaborating, teaming up, do you guys working on anything now? Well, the only thing that we're, we happen to be doing at the same time, we are not collaborating on, is uh, we both were recently inducted. I don't know what the right word would be. Um, we're both members of uh, the Playground Chicago Writers Pool, which is really exciting. It's the inaugural inaugural season for Chicago. Like they have a, 
I think San Francisco is where it initiated. And uh, so Dana and I are both members of that. Very cool. Now, as far as writing together, I can assume uh, kind of you guys kind of touched on it earlier that you kind of got to be open to the other person's ideas. Don't get so stuck on your own. Be open to objection if that comes. Um, other than that, what writers that want to team up and write together, what what advice could you give them to make it work? Because I've heard great stories, kind of like what you guys have, but I've also heard horror stories where, you know, two people just stopped talking because they just couldn't get along yeah. in the writing process. So what what makes it work for you guys? Yeah, I, I really think it's that respecting each other's intention and not being afraid to say, like, there's a line in Dagon, which I think makes David kind of roll his eyes. But I was like, no, it needs to be in there. And then when he saw it, he was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, I get where you're coming from. Like, there's just like these moments that, you know, and that was just a funny moment. But like some, we have a, a really beautiful piece that that has been touring like all over the country and internationally. Um, and it's, it's probably, I, I would think for me, it's like one of the best plays I've ever written. Um, and definitely um, it is a true collaboration. And within that piece, we definitely had to like compromise a little bit and also hear each other because the beautiful thing about co-writing is you have an audience built in. If you put down your ego and just let it be and tell the story and let the characters talk, you know, um, you have someone reading it on the other side to give you feedback right away. And so we do have, um, uh, male and female characters or like a dichotomy of characters, really. I don't want to be too generous, but like there, there's a dichotomy of characters where um, our voices come through usually one or the other character. So it does give a differentiation of those characters as you hear it as the audience. So it's nice to listen through that lens and have that other voice in your head when you're writing. Um, so, so I think that's been fun. Um, and if you're not having fun with it, then don't force it. I really believe in like that energy. If the energy just doesn't mesh, it's just not the right partnership. It doesn't mean that you won't have a better partnership somewhere else that fits better. It doesn't mean that you still can't be friends. It just means that maybe that just doesn't work. And that's okay because writing is a very vulnerable experience. So you have to really be able to um, put your trust in the other person. And that takes a lot of um, courage and vulnerability to do. Yeah, so it's not for everyone, <laughs> definitely. Cool, cool. All right, so what else do you guys have coming up as far as it could be plays that you wrote together or plays you wrote individually or if you're acting in something? Where can people kind of see your creativity in a theater near them coming up? Dana, if you'd like to start. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I have a couple pieces coming up for Halloween. I have Don't Lose Your Head with Flexible Gray Theater in Dallas, Texas. And um, that recently has been accepted for publication with Hair Publishing. So this will be its last performance before the the that agreement goes into effect. Um, I have Unprovoked with Orange Players. I believe the festival is November 18th and that's in Connecticut for the Acting Up 2022 festival. And I believe Jonathan might have a play in there too. Hey, hey, this isn't about mistaken. me, this isn't about me. <laughs> <laughs> um which is wonderful another collab you know we can see each other all over the all over i just love that about being playwrights you see your friends in other productions um and i have a play called all out of spoons with spoonie theater which it will be virtual and their mission is to increase access and accessibility for those with chronic illness or impairments. And my particular piece is about a woman who um, is going to her first support group for having chronic illness, and um, which is also lovely because David has a piece um, with Spoonie Theater as well. And I have a couple of readings coming up of my children's books. Uh, one of my books is called Beyond Words, which is a story about my son who has apraxia of speech. And the other is Monsters Love Pickles, which is a story to hopefully help children get over their bedtime after we scare them with the podcast. Then you read your children Monsters Love Pickles um, to help them go to sleep at night without fearing uh, the dark. So those are some of my projects. Awesome. So what you got coming up, David? Uh, so as Dana mentioned, I have something with Spoonie Theater as well. It's a play called Goy Ve, a virtual play about a first date 
um, where one of the characters' entire family shows up on the Zoom call. Um, it's very silly. The grandfather can't turn on the audio, so he's just shouting into the void. Um, and uh, besides that, I am performing. I'm going down to Springfield, Illinois, tomorrow because I'm performing as a, as an actor. I know you're going to think it's as a lawyer, as an actor before the Illinois Supreme Court in a reading on the Black Sox trial, the Eight Men Out scandal. Uh, so that'll be very fun. It'll be back in Chicago on November 2nd uh, if, if folks want to purchase tickets. Um, and then uh, on the on Halloween, the Playground Chicago is having its first um, uh, set of performances. And my, my play was selected. It's a play called The Shomer. And it's a, a play about a Jewish man who goes to visit his father at the funeral home. And it's, it's probably my most serious thing I've ever written, which is wild. All right. So where can people find you? Do you have websites and are you active on social media as far as your playwriting goes? I'm most active on my website, which is davidlipshoots.com. Godspeed figuring out how to spell my last name. And then my Instagram Handle? Is that what people say? Handle? I think so. My yeah. Instagram handle is Mr. Grease Monkey. There you go. <laughs> it's, a, it's an old, old AOL screen name thing from way back in the day that's just kept. And um, my stuff is um, on my website, Dana Hall Creates, as well as on Instagram, uh, Dana Hall Creates as well. So Awesome. Well, I mean, Thank you guys for joining me and thank you for sharing your awesome play with us. You know, keep writing together individually, however you want to do it. Keep acting, directing, keep mental therapisting and lawyering, do all that good stuff. And hopefully in the future, we can um, collaborate again. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jonathan. We appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you to all your listeners as well. Thank you all for tuning in. And if you are associated with a theater and you would like to produce the play you heard today on your stage, please send an email to gatherbythegostlight at gmail.com or contact the playwrights directly through their websites, danahallcreates.com and davidlipshoots.com. This program is supported in part by the Greater Augusta Arts Council through a grant from its partner agency, the National Endowment of the Arts. Intro and outro music, as always, is provided by artist JK47. Additional featured music composed by A Time of Shadows. And if you enjoy this podcast, maybe you're a longtime listener, or maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard. Let us know. Please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to follow Gather by the Ghost Light on social media to stay up to date on new episodes. I'm Jonathan Cook, and as always, stay safe, and I'll see you next time we Gather by the Ghost Light. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.